I'm so excited about today. This guy's so awesome. Most of you know this handsome bearded fella right here. You're about to hear his heart um, in the next few minutes. He's going to be bringing the word for us. Um, Keegan, is that your name, right? Just kidding. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> Keegan is, he is a, he is an evangelist in the biblical sense of the word. He's got that gifting and he has that calling. He has that heart for the lost and the unchurched. Um, he is, I don't think it's an understatement to say you are almost more comfortable out there than you are. And you're comfortable here, but like you thrive out there. You thrive out there where the places where, where people are on, on the fringe and on the periphery. And he loves ministering to people. If you ever go to lunch with him, just be prepared because he's going to get up and walk over to some stranger and begin to talk to him and minister to him. So just be, be ready for that because that's, uh, that's his heart. So um, we're thankful for his... Um, his leadership um, in, in the last year and a half of kind of helping transition um, this building and uh, just his ministry to us. So I want to pray for you, brother, and then cool. bring the word. Jesus, thanks for this beautiful guy and his beautiful family. Father, I pray you would just anoint um, his mouth and anoint our ears to hear what you want to say through him. Father, we just bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Can you all hear me? This is a fancy mic I'm used to holding a little stick, so this is real. This is real fancy. Um, so today we're going to get into some fun stuff. I recently watched a documentary called Sheep Among Wolves. This is bright. It's like, bam. Uh, there's a documentary called Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2. I would highly recommend to watch it. It's super cool. I met a guy in New Zealand at a house of prayer there, and he's the one that's doing all this stuff. And we're going to start off with a little clip from that. And basically the movie is talking about the church in Iran and how there's a revival breaking out through the women there. Can I, can I, I got some women in here that are amazing. Can, can we raise your hand if you're a woman? Women are great, okay. And God loves to use women. So there's a revival breaking out in Iran and this is just a little clip from something in that film that really got me stirred up when I saw it. And we'll get to it in a second. The most impactful thing that he shared with me was a story about his wife, actually, something that his wife said that has really stuck in my head. He talked about how years ago they had an opportunity to move to the United States and live there, so they did. And then after being in the United States for a short period of time, his wife began to plead with him to take her back to Iran, which he felt like was crazy. I mean, who, who wants to move back to Iran under all sorts of oppression where, where the sharing of your faith could bring the end of your life or brutal incarceration or rape or all sorts of horrible things? Who, who, who wants to do that? I mean, who, who wants to move from the United States to Iran? She told him, there's a satanic lullaby here. And all the Christians are sleepy, and I'm feeling sleepy. And that, that little story uh, disturbed me because this woman was discerning a threat to her faith that was a greater threat than 
the kind of persecution that happens in Iran. And that threat was spiritual sleepiness. That is a more dangerous situation than persecution. And I had to ask myself the question, is that true? Is that true? It's impossible. All right, so that's a little bit intense, but it's a real thing that I feel like I've seen in the church in America. And they're not slamming the church in America. This is just a couple who was from Iran, moved here, and realized that it was more dangerous to be in comfort and have everything that you want and have the ability to make choices than it is to have the possibility of being raped or killed or thrown in jail. And so they literally moved back, and now they're doing stuff for Jesus there. And it's really interesting because I was thinking about, like, everyone wants to come to the States, yet someone who came to the States that found the dream wanted to go back to get in front of persecution because to them it was clear that Jesus was more worthy than just being comfortable. So we're basically going to talk today about what it means to wake up because I do feel like a lot of us are sleepy and there's four main points that I'm going to get into of how we can live woke. I know the term woke has got all sorts of different um, connotations today, but we're going to talk about being woke with Jesus. So the first one is salvation, freedom, and righteousness through Jesus. There's some beliefs going around in the church today that there is no hell, that everything's just really happy-go-lucky. But the reality is when I look through the Bible up and down, I don't see the room for that. But I do see a God that is infinitely in love with his creation. And there is an eternal reality that we can be with him or we can be separate from him. And the beauty of this is what Jesus did on the cross not only freed us from sin and guilt and shame, but he lets us enter the kingdom of heaven immediately. It's not like just when we go and we die, but we get to experience the kingdom of God immediately. And not only do we get clean from sin, but he gives us power over sin. Like we don't have to submit to sin anymore. We're now in the authority position over sin. And he makes us righteous. This is a radical thing. We went from being an unholy people to a vessel that is holy enough to carry the presence of God without dying. So there's a really amazing thing that Jesus has done by making us righteous. And in the there's a... Lots of people say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I don't think that's accurate. Like, he's made us righteous. So that's, that's the first one, salvation, freedom, and righteousness in Jesus. The second one is intimacy with the Father. When's the last time you saw a healthy marriage where the man and the woman didn't hang out or talk, right? We need to be in relationship with God. We need to be speaking to him. We need to be listening to him and really growing in, in our relationship with him. And so I'm all fired up about evangelism and stuff. And I would have spoken a lot at churches to get, try to get people fired up. And I would always tell people, hey, if it's not your gift, that's okay. We're all called to it. But I realized I was hypocritical because there's people who are intercessors. And I'm like, oh, well, that's not my calling. They're just in the prayer room all day. Well, that's not me. I'm outside, which is hypocritical. We're all called to the prayer room. We're all called to intimacy with the Father. And we're also all called to go out and preach the gospel. So I um, lived in Montana for a few years, and that's where I met my wife. It was like being in heaven there because it's so gorgeous. And then I met this beautiful woman. And uh, I won't, I'm not going to get into that because it's a long, fun story, but another day. But I worked at a ranch, and the guy that I worked for was a really cool dude. He planted a church out there, and there's a pastor named Levi Lesko. He planted that church. Really, really good guy. 
I was talking to him one day how I struggle to hang out with Jesus and take time to do that. And he told me this. He said, if you were a golfer and Tiger Woods would meet you at 6 a.m. the next morning, would you not be there? He's like, you'd be early and you'd be fired up and you'd be super attentive. And he's like, is God not infinitely more important and infinitely more better to spend time with than Tiger Woods? And I was like, that's a really great point. And he's like, God's always waiting for us and always patiently, like, with open arms wanting to spend time with us. Yet, we choose things like Netflix and our phones and whatever else we choose over him. So I believe that there's a, a time where we need to start making sacrifices and really put him first. So that's two, intimacy with the Father. Three is, there's this basic model in the Bible where you need to be investing in someone else and discipling someone else, and you also need someone to be investing in you. And that's just, it's just that simple. If, you, if you're not investing in someone, go find someone that, that you can bring to a greater place. And if you're not getting challenged and called out, find someone that would rebuke you. Like, it is a good thing to get called out. It may not feel good at the time, but I'm really glad that people have called me out for being an idiot in life because I don't know where I would be otherwise. So that's three. Four, and this is the one we're going to kind of stick on because I feel like the church is lacking in this one. This is walking in boldness, or what I would say is partying with the Holy Spirit. Spirit. So I came in, into Jesus when I was 20. I came out of this partying phase where I was drinking heavy amounts of alcohol and smoking lots of pot and all that stuff. And I thought I knew how to party, but I realized after I met Jesus, I really didn't know how to party. Like he parties way more harder <laughs> than I do. And he has way more fun than I did. You know what I mean? Being passed out in a bathroom with your pants down is not like the best way to party, to be honest. But Imagine like a party with Jesus or a wedding in Kentucky with Jesus there, right? It's like, hey, Bubba, is that Jimmy in the corner? I could have sworn we were at his funeral last week. Uh, yeah, Bill, it, it, it is Jimmy. I think that long feller with long beard done raised him from the dead yesterday. Right? Seriously. And then there'd not only be people getting raised from the dead, like would he turn like water into bourbon? I don't know. But like he would be doing really cool stuff. Miracles, and you'd see people getting set free from addiction and bondage and all that stuff. And uh, when, when I walk into parties with my intent on Jesus and what he wants to do, it's way more fun. It's way more fun. So I'm going to go on ahead and encourage you to open your Bibles to Philemon, the largest book in the Bible, or the smallest, I can't remember, but it is before Hebrews and after the uh, pastoral epistles like Titus and um, all that stuff. Let's see if I can get there with you. Philemon. There's not even a chapter. It's just like a certain amount of verses. So find Hebrews, go left, or find uh, Timothy and go right. Y'all there? Cool. So verse 6, so Paul's talking to Philemon. I'm not going to get in the background because it doesn't matter as much. There's just this one verse that I've read over a hundred times. And then when I was doing this Bible school in Montana, I had, I had a little bit more time to play with it. And it really stood out to me. And it says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So Paul is praying to Philemon that the sharing of his faith would be effective. He's not praying that he would share his faith. He's praying that as he shares his faith, it would be effective. 
So that's just what we're supposed to be doing. But then the reason he is praying that his faith sharing would be effective is for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So the way that I interpret this is when we are sharing our faith, we get to watch people go from not knowing Jesus or not understanding things about God to understanding that. And then they get these light bulb revelations where they're getting really excited and fired up. And you're like, hey, God speaks, go listen. And then they come back like shaky and freaking out because God spoke to them, something that really transformed them. And that's just a lot of fun. And so what I believe Paul is saying here is that as we are sharing our faith and it's fruitful, we start to realize like how good God is. And we remember, oh, yeah, God does save people. He does bring people freedom out of bondage and all sorts of cool stuff. So I would just encourage you to, to not hold back. And this part, this, um, this whole thing of walking in boldness, I feel like this is kind of enveloping the whole idea of preaching the gospel healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead, doing, doing the things that we're called to do. And the major reason I feel like the church struggles with this is the church struggles with confrontation. If I was to make a stab at it, I would say most people struggle with confrontation because it can be awkward, it can be offensive. And in our culture, this offensive thing, everybody's offended about everything. But I used to not be a confrontational person until the guy that, brought me into Jesus, we had a big argument one day and I was, I was walking out. I was like, peace, bro. I don't want to deal with your crap. You know, I was, I was mad. And he's like, no, you're going to sit here and we're going to talk about this. And I was like, ugh. <laughs> but then we talked for like two or three hours and at the end of the conversation, we were closer. We realized that there was just a little miscommunication and we grew from it. And then over a few years hanging out with this guy, I realized that, man, on the other side of confrontation is freedom. And it, it sets people free. So then now people are like, dang, bro, did you really just say that to that person? I'm like, yeah, but look at them now. Like, so anyways, confrontation is a good thing. And uh, there's two personality tests that I really like. One's called Myers-Briggs and one's called the Enneagram. They're really cool. You should look them up. But Myers-Briggs plays with like if you're a thinker, feeler, um, if you're... Uh, introverted or extroverted. And then the Enneagram has numbers and it's really cool. But I will say that you're not confined. If you've ever done these tests, you're not confined to your personality type. If you're extroverted like me, that doesn't mean you can't go and be quiet in a closet. And if you're introverted, that doesn't mean you can't like preach the gospel on the corner of the streets. And for me, my Enneagram number is seven and it says, oh, you're not good at confrontation. You avoid confrontation. But yet people tell me that I'm like Mr. Confrontational now. So just want you guys to know you're not bound to your personality types. And I, I do feel like our mission from God is to wake up, wake up every day and destroy the works of the enemy, which is a pretty good, I mean, it's like, if you're wondering what you should do that day, if you wake up, you're like, well, what am I going to do today? Go punch Satan in the face with your life. <laughs> That's what you do. So... Here's some reasons why I feel like we are capable and equipped to do these things. Um, where did that go? Okay, so I'm gonna track the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is really cool. There's three parts of God. There's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. 
Sometimes people avoid the Holy Spirit because it's a little bit scarier or more intimidating. And there's wild things like words of knowledge and speaking in tongues and stuff like that. But the Holy Spirit is real and he, he likes to do really fun stuff. So there's two main covenants that God has made. And we can break them down the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant. But in the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit did certain things. He would move on certain people in certain situations for certain reasons, but he would never fully dwell in someone. For instance, um, Moses. God used Moses. Moses was a dude that was like, bro, I think he had a stutter. Some people said he may have had a stutter. I kind of believe that. He's like, bro, I can't speak well. I don't want to do this. Can you pick someone else? Okay, so that was Moses. And yet God used Moses to free Israel from flipping Egypt. You know what I mean? Like a whole country. I mean, could you imagine? Like, in, anyways, that's wild. But God used Moses. And then we got Samson. I think me and Josh Cradman are a big fan of Samson because he killed a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. I mean, how big is a donkey's jawbone? You know what I mean? Anyways, Samson was kind of a goofball. He slept with a prostitute. And uh, after, some, after the Philistines killed his wife, and then he was seduced by another woman and then made a bunch of dumb decisions and got captured. And like Samson wasn't like super intelligent, but God used him. Okay, and then King David. King David was someone, Jesus didn't talk like about, he didn't incur, well, in the New Testament, Jesus only spoke about so many people. And he talked about King David as being someone who was after his own heart, a man after God's own heart, right? But King David was chilling on his front porch one day and saw this chick he thought was really cute taking a bath. And he's like, well, what if I killed her husband? You know what I mean? Like, that's crazy. Would you hire King David if you were working at a church and you were in charge of hiring people? It's like you're looking at his, his uh, what's, what do you call him? Resume. It's like, yeah, I kind of killed a dude and I'm an adulterer. Can I, can I talk at your church? Can I hang out with your kids? You know what I mean? Like you'd say no. Um, and Samson, I would probably say no. I'd be like, bro, you can't sleep with prostitutes. That's probably not a good idea. And what I, I'm not trying to give you guys permission to sin. I'm not saying that you can go sinning everywhere and that God's still going to use you. But what I am saying is God uses broken people. And it doesn't matter what your struggles are. God can free you from them. And Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom you have been set free. Do not submit. What does it say? Hold on. I can't remember. For freedom therefore you've been set free. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Okay? So it's like I'm not giving you permission to sin. We're free from sin. We have power over sin. There's no reason a Christian should be walking in sin. Okay? But God uses goofy people. So in the new covenant, it's different than the old covenant. The Holy Spirit starts to dwell inside of us. It was prophesied about in the Old Testament that God was going to do this thing. And so in the New Testament, we see that um, the presence of God used to be in a temple in the Holy, Holy of Holies. But then Jesus died. The veil was torn. The presence of God went from just being in this, this singular place to coming and living inside of individuals. In the old covenant... You would have legit died if you would have touched the mountain that God was chilling at. Right? New covenant, God comes and chills in you permanently. Right? That's insanity. 
to think about it. I remember um, when I was a younger Christian, they'd be like, brother, you need to be praying for divine appointments. And I was like, what is that? Like, do I got to schedule one? Like, and what they were trying to say is that there's a specific time that God might do something cool. And then I heard someone once say, you are a divine appointment. And I was like, ooh, that makes way more biblical sense. So everywhere we go, we're carrying the presence of God. And if someone hasn't interacted with God before, they're about to run into him, okay? All right, you guys ready to open your Bibles? Uh, Mark 5, 1 through 13 is where we're going. Mark's a cool book. It was written to a persecuted church, so he's like immediately, immediately. It's like really quick and it just goes. And he's, it's like if you're bored and you want to read a gospel that's going to kind of get you fired up, read Mark. Okay. So we're going to go 5, 1 through 13. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What? Have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, don't torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what's your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And so he, and he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Jesus put the demons in some pigs. The pigs ran off the cliff and drowned, right? The thing that intrigues me about this is Jesus always walked in boldness, and he always walked in confrontation. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus showed up and then he sees this crazy guy and he was praying for about 20 minutes to see if God wanted him to do anything. No, the, guy, the, demon, the, the guy, demon-possessed guy runs at Jesus and says, bro, please quit messing with me because he was already messing with him. Like, he didn't bat an eye. He's like, dude, this guy's naked. He's 6'4", 250, and super jacked, and he's ripping chains apart. But I'm walking up to this guy and rebuking the demon out of him, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. And um, could you imagine if you're walking downtown and there's a homeless, there's a few homeless people. I, for real, we should get a party together. And there's one guy, I think he's 100% demon-possessed. But um, could you imagine you're like, hey, what's your name? Legion, for we are many. You, like, would that not kind of freak you out a little bit? I f- That's just intense. And what, what did Jesus do? Do you think Jesus was like, whoa, 6'4", 250, the rock. He didn't get nervous. He, he got the demon kicked out. You know what I mean? Um, and the reason I feel like Jesus wasn't freaked out is he knew who he was. He knew his identity, he knew his authority, and he didn't bat an eye when the physical surroundings looked overwhelming. I mean, breaking chains. Like, I rock climb, and when you get to the route, there's these chains going down, and you, you hang yourself off of them. And sometimes I've taken 30-foot falls, and then the rope catches, and 180 pounds, like, stops. And those chains are really strong. I can't imagine snapping them. That's just crazy. 
And so there is some kind of supernatural power to the d- demonic realm, but who's more powerful? Right? Like when you go into the room, do you turn up and down the darkness or do you turn up and down the light? So there's not, there's not a battle. I, I always picture Satan as this guy in a ring. I like boxing and stuff like that. I picture Satan as the guy on the floor knocked out, but he's still conscious enough to where he can talk. And he's still talking crap to the guy that just knocked him out. That's how I see it. Okay. So <clears throat> we're all called to this. This isn't just Jesus. In Ephesians 2.10 It says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in in them. And this is not just pastors, not just weird guys with the big beard that like talking to people on the streets. This is everybody. And then some people would say, well, that power and authority was just for the 12. Because if you look at um, Matthew 10.8, Jesus is talking to the 12. He says, heal the sick, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, raise the dead. You receive without paying, give without pay, right? And they're like, well, that was just the 12. But then Jesus said the same thing to the 72. And then at the end of Matthew in 28, 19, when he's saying go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, he says, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you to obey, which is heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. So maybe when Jesus walked into that tomb, he didn't have to pray about it because that was part of his mission statement. You know what I mean? Um, and for me, I've got a little bit of experience where I was completely not ready for a demon once. And then one time I was ready for a demon. I was in India in 2011. And I feel like the rock in India because I'm like five inches taller than everybody and probably 60 pounds of muscle bigger than everybody. So I'm not really intimidated by people in India. But one night we were walking around and there was this this guy that was like literally like donkey kicking cars and like yelling and I think he was cussing in Hindi, but I don't know enough Hindi to know. But he was just upset, and I was nervous. Like, I know I could have fought and taken him if he would have started swinging at me, but I was nervous, and I didn't say anything, and I didn't do anything because I knew it was a demonic thing, right? And that guy continued to be in bondage. Fast forward two or three years later, I'd learned a lot about my identity, that I was a son, that God had given me authority over these things, and that I could be confident and walk in boldness in that stuff. And we, um, me and my wife, were a part of this school. There was a guy that was about 18 years old. We were teaching on the Holy Spirit one week. And next thing you know, he's in the corner convulsing. And sometimes you guys have seen the power of God. You, someone might fall over or like whatever. And so at first I was like looking at him. But he's like in the corner like just like doing like all these weird convulsions. I was like, okay, this is... This is either God or it's not, but we're going to figure out real quick because homie doesn't look like he's having a good time. So I sat down next to him and his breath stanketh. Like I've, I've heard that, that when there's a, uh, like a possession that people's breath can stink, but it did. And it was really weird and nasty. But I sat down, started talking to him for a minute, realized, okay, this is demonic. This isn't just him having a conniption fit. And so there's a guy I was discipling. I got really excited. And I was like, bro, come here. Check this out. And so like, I'm giddy. I wasn't nervous. I was actually like really excited. And then we start, you know, I I was talking to the demon. I was like, you have to leave. You have no choice. You're going to get out of this dude in Jesus name. And then we just start praying into it. And then eventually the demon left. At one point for real, I was having so much fun that I was like, like I really, I seriously made a bird noise. I don't know why. 
but I was having fun. The demon left the guy. He, he came to and he's like, I have not had this much peace since I was playing with a Ouija board at a friend's house two years ago. So something latched. Don't play with Ouija boards, please. Okay. But something latched onto him and hadn't left him. And he, he wasn't able to sleep and all this stuff. But anyways, so the difference in those two stories is not that I, I grew stronger in my faith or anything like that. The Spirit of God was the same when I was in India and terrified and when I was in Montana and bold. The only thing that changed was my perspective of the reality of who God had made me to be and the power of God within me. So I'm not pushing you guys. I don't, I don't like pushing people to do things. Even when I talk to people about Jesus, I'm like, hey, I want you to come to know Jesus, but I'm not going to force you. It's up to you. You know what I mean? And the same in this, I'm not forcing you guys to go walk this stuff out, but I'm giving you permission because it's a lot of fun. I've had some people be like, well, being a Christian doesn't look like that fun. You can't do this. You can't do that. I was like, dude, you don't even get it. Like, it is so much fun if you walk the things out that God calls us to walk out. And in terms of confrontation, because to, to confront a demon, you have to confront, right? To tell someone about Jesus, you have to confront. And it can be offensive because you're telling someone that they have sin in their life, but everyone knows they got sin in their life, but whatever. But if you found a good deal at like Kroger's on like something, you'd probably text your friends, hey, I found a great deal on brisket. It's only this much, right? And if your friend was about to walk out in front of a bus, you'd probably stop them, I would imagine, even if you had to tackle them. But yet the most important thing that we could ever talk to anyone about, we get nervous about. And it's not us doing it. It's the power of God that really saves people anyways, right? So... We're going to um, get into a fun time after this one thing that I feel like God has shown me, and it is this. We hold back from talking to someone because we are, don't want to feel awkward for a minute or two, right? Or we don't want to be wrong or someone look weird on us or look weird about us. Or we don't want to offend someone. But that little discomfort for a minute or two, is that really worth someone's eternity? Is that really worth someone who's about to kill themselves the next day because they're depressed? Is it worth not talking to someone because they may get offended, but you could bring them freedom from bondage? You know what I mean? So we're going to move into a time of just letting God speak to us. You know, what is God saying? Because maybe we just need to confront ourselves. Sometimes we don't look at parts of our life because we just don't want to mess with it. So is God you know, telling you maybe you need to go back to one. Maybe you don't know Jesus and you need to give your life to him, you know? It's a party and it's awesome. So I'd recommend doing that if you haven't. And maybe you have, but maybe you don't feel like you're forgiven. Maybe you need to look back at the gospel and realize how free you really are. And maybe too, you're not hanging out with Jesus. Maybe you're just on your phone too much. I know I struggle with that, for real. I'm like, why am I, why did I just watch fight videos for an hour and a half on my phone? So maybe we need to sacrifice something to be with Jesus. Or maybe, uh, three, we need to disciple someone or be discipled by someone. Or maybe, four, we're like most of the church, and we need to get right with God and start confronting things and, and not worry about what people say or think. So uh, how about we, I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're just going to listen for a couple minutes in silence, Okay. And then just whatever God says, just do it. Who cares? You only live once, right? So Father, I thank you that you are worthy of awkward situations. 
I thank you that the Holy Spirit's called the comforter because maybe we're supposed to be uncomfortable. I thank you, God, that you're abundantly gracious to us and that you can show us the way. So I just thank you for submission. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would wake us up, each and every one of us, in the ways that we need to be woken up in Jesus' name. And I just ask that you'd speak to us right now, that you'd stir in our hearts what we need to be doing and that we would listen and move. So after a couple minutes, there's gonna be people down front that can pray with you. Just listen, and then uh, we're gonna sit in silence for real. Brian, after two minutes, you can come up and do your thing, but we're gonna sit in silence. It's gonna be great. See you guys in a couple minutes.